they put me in right away for angioplasty exploration. They said three things are going to happen. One, we're going to put some stents in. Two, we're going to find that your blockages are too great for stents. Or three, you're going to die. How differently are you feeling about the future? I think the possibility of outliving my grandfather, who died at a heart attack when he was 64, and my dad at 67, is greatly improved. I feel really good about where the, the, the longevity of my life because of this change, more so than I had prior to surgery. I kind of figured that before the event, I would, in my 60s, probably have a life-ending heart attack. It just by nature that it was going to happen. Wow. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Fontana, California, Cary, North Carolina, and Naples, Italy. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 21 of season 6, number 417 overall. Imagine that you are on a bike ride, one that is hundreds of miles long, and you've already been going for days. And then you wake up one morning and something just isn't right. It's a wake-up call that you don't want because it turns out that that something is something quite sinister. It's your heart. And now, it's failing. This was not a work of fiction for Tony Shera. This was very much real life. And this fateful day for him happened right in the middle of a bike ride from Indianapolis all the way to Washington, D.C. It was just as if he had pedaled until his heart gave out. But while his heart was in danger, he was not about to throw in the towel. And this near-fatal experience has transformed Tony inside and out. He now has a new way of living, a new way of eating, and his health evolution has trickled all the way down and touched his family. And hopefully now... It will also extend down to you and a lot of others today as well. So Tony is here along with his wife to clue us in on how that dark day became the starting point for his brighter future. But first, you've been hearing us talk about this for a while now. Our big exam room live and in-person event at the eBell in Los Angeles on March 30th. And now we can break some more news. We have two more big guests that we can announce. Samantha Harris, former host of Dancing with the Stars, she will be coming to hang out with us that night. So if you love that show, you love Dancing with the Stars, here is your chance to meet an incredible face of the show. So she's going to be there talking about her healthy way of eating, plus the coaching program that she now has. I love the name of this, Your Healthiest Healthy. Samantha Harris, she will be joining us. And then also that night, plant-based blogger and author Tony Okamoto from Plant Based on a Budget. She will be there as well. And her new book, Plant Based on a Budget, Quick and Easy, 
comes out next week, and so hopefully she's going to be giving us some yummy eats to whip up from the book that night as well. Plus, Doctors Neil Barnard and Christy Funk will be there, and at least one more big special surprise guest still to come. Tickets for the night start at just $15, and VIP tickets include a phenomenal dinner before the show, exclusive giveaways, photo opportunities, and and priority seating once the podcast begins at 8. So it's all going to be phenomenal. Hope to see you there. Get your tickets today, pcrm.org slash events, or just click the link right now in the episode notes to reserve your seat. It is time now for an extraordinary tale of survival. Tony Shera stared death in the face. He fought to live and then he fought to change his life. And with the help of his wife, he did just that. Tony is proving that even if heart disease runs in your family, even if it strikes you, you can still march toward a healthier future, even when it looks like all hope is lost. Tony and Rachel Shera, right now on The Exam Room. I'm really excited to be sharing this story with the exam roomies today. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Tony, let's jump right in here. So this happened July of 2021. Leading up to this really long bike ride, had you had any indication that something was amiss? Well, in hindsight, I had lots of little indicators, but everything could have been explained away from but explained away with like, oh, I didn't sleep well last night or COVID. I mean, I had been teaching. I'm a teacher. And uh, the university where I was working, we went completely uh, digital and I wasn't moving around. I was sitting. So I was gaining weight, not putting it off. Having done long distance bike trips prior, years prior in the summers, I knew the in the spring coming up to this big trip. I was going to lose weight in training for the trip and on the trip. So I wasn't too worried about the weight that wasn't coming off, even though I was training just as hard as I was before. Things like that. Some, you know, swelling, ankle swelling and things like that. Yeah. Um, so with the pandemic here, it just got me to thinking like so many of us went from being active, more active, even if we weren't athletes per se, you commute uh, for a lot of us that meant at least walking, you know, to the office, um, even out of the car, as opposed to just across the hall from your bedroom to your office at home. Right. And then you become completely sedentary. Do you think that, you know, that just short time frame between the start of the pandemic, um, leading up to the bike ride was really the catalyst for this? Or do you think that the seeds for what happened were planted many years ago? Uh, many years ago, I, I quite honestly, I was expecting something like, like this to happen, but not this, not when I was in my fifties, I was expecting it in my early sixties, um, uh, heart disease runs in my family. Um, and we, at the time we had thought we were doing okay with our diet, uh, even though prior, about a year prior to this, we were not living together. Uh, Rachel started a new job here in South Carolina and I stayed behind in, in Pennsylvania. So our son could finish high school. Um, and yeah, we were eating like two single guys, you know, a lot of meat, uh, not much, not much in vegetables, but uh, I'm sure that contributed to it, but it wasn't anything that it was, it, this was in my family. And I don't think the 
the diet that we ate in that year could have contributed to blockages that I had. It, I don't know, it's such a fact. I mean, they did, but not like we were good before. Now they're bad. In that year, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have done that. Rachel, let me ask you. I mean, Tony said that he kind of felt like this was inevitable. Had he shared those concerns with you previously? Oh, yeah. I mean, the heart conditions within his family, is, I think it's artery blockage is mostly what your family struggles yeah. with. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I knew this because his father had had issues. His brother has issues. You know, So we knew going into it that he would also have issues. But again, we were eating you know, something toward a Mediterranean diet, uh, I would say. Mm-hmm not limiting we weren't limiting meat though i mean meat was probably a once a day event for sure right and dairy and cheese and all of these things that are part of a you know that's part of a mediterranean diet olive oil um so this was something that i knew about but i thought i was doing the right thing for yeah i i would think so i mean most of us still put cheese, dairy, lean meats into that healthy category, not quite realizing uh, what <laughs> what they actually are. Um, let me ask you about the day of the incident, as you called it, uh, when you so eloquently wrote about it on Forks Over Knives. Um, Tony, what do you remember about that day? Walk us through it from the time that you woke up. I woke up feeling nauseous and not understanding why, but feeling very dizzy and dry heaving. Um, got myself out of the tent and Rachel was already on the phone calling 911. Um, I was very lethargic, couldn't, just kind of wanted to sit there. I was awake, just didn't feel like opening my eyes. I was talking. Um, I didn't have any pain anywhere. It was just a weird, I just didn't feel right. Um, and. I don't know. It took, how long did it take for the ambulance to get there? Seven minutes. Yeah, in that time, felt like a long time, but by the time they got there, I was feeling a little bit better. And as time expanded away from the event, I felt better, and it became like a well, what was that? And so, what happened once the ambulance arrived? I mean, obviously, you're taken to the hospital. What kind of news are you expecting at that point? The EMTs were like, oh, it's got to be electrolytes because you're on this really long bike ride. You're probably not hydrated enough, which I knew was not the case at all, um, which was kind of alarming. You know, once he had said that, it was like, well, that's not, I know that's not going to be it. And it didn't, it turned out it wasn't. Um, the got to the hospital and I'm like, well, we're going to run some tests. And they found tryptophan. Is that the heart, the enzyme? If you have a heart attack, there's an enzyme in your blood that, I can't remember what it's called, but mine was elevated. Like there was some sort of event with my heart, but they weren't sure. This being a very small hospital, it was our first stop. They said, well, we can't really tell much going on. We want to send you to Pittsburgh because there's a great heart, heart hospital there. They can find out anything that's going on. So we're going to send you there. And they did. Two hours later, I was on another ambulance speeding up through Pittsburgh to go to the hospital there. And Rachel, what level of concern did you have at this point? You know, initially you're being told, well, maybe it's dehydration. Tony says he's feeling a little bit better. And then suddenly it's like, boom, no, we got to shift you over to Pittsburgh for a higher level of care. What kind of emotions are you dealing with at that point? A lot of stress. That was awful. And before he remembers anything that went on, there was, uh, there were other things happening that precipitated me getting out of the tent and making a phone call. So he doesn't even remember what happened before that. He woke me up at about 6.30 a.m. moaning 
and I could not rouse him, even though he was sitting up and he had his eyes closed, but he was moaning and making noises. I couldn't get him to stop moaning and he wasn't responding to his name and he wasn't, I even shook him and he wasn't responding to anything. And then he took a great big deep breath and he just collapsed on his pillow and he stopped breathing. And that's when I stepped out of the tent. So there was a lot of concern because nobody could articulate what that was about. Nobody could define what that had been. So there was a lot of concern on my end. I mean, I just felt like I had no idea what was going on. Um, so there was a lot of a lot of stress and a lot of concern. I would, and also, uh, we didn't have, this is the other thing. We had no car. Like we were on our bikes. We were on right. con- this. We these are contained bikes, so we had no vehicles. Um, we had a tent. I had like one set of clothes. Like we were disgusting. We smelled bad. <laughs> We'd been biking for many weeks and, um, and so there, you know, there's just a lot of stress going in a lot of different directions. Before the day, how far had you come? Were, uh, you, you departed from Indianapolis. Where were you at this point when everything started? We were probably at mile like 700. Okay. 750. 750 of our trip. Yeah. That's a heck of a long way to be riding. That's for daggone sure. Um, Especially with multiple blockages, I was yeah. very impressed. No kidding, right? So let's let's get back to Pittsburgh. Then you're whisked there, and I'm assuming that they run more tests. What did you discover at that point? Got there, they put me in right away for angioplasty exploration to see what the status of. And they said three things are going to happen. One, we're going to put some stents in. Two, we're going to find that we don't can't any have any blockages. They're, your blockages are too great for stents. Uh, or three, you're going to die. But that was what I was told. Um, and they went in and signed this paper. Yeah. Yeah. Signed <laughs> this paper. So they went in and, and they found it. They said at least three that were 80 to hundred percent blocked. And then Rachel finally showed up and they said, well, we want to get you in for a uh, bypass surgery. This is a Friday. Um, the surgeon we're sure probably can do it on Monday within Monday afternoon. Uh, but you're going to stay in the hospital until Monday. And then sometime after that. Hmm. So again, like, even though you were, you say you were expecting this at some point, this still must've hit you like a ton of bricks, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And the the other thing, the other piece of this is that he's so fit. He's made a 700 mile bike ride. We both have Mm -hmm. plus all of the training that goes into that beforehand. Um, And so, you know, on the outside, he, he had definitely some weight to lose, but he was, Mm -hmm. you know, he's quite fit. So that's the other thing that it's like, why, how could this have happened if you exercise so well? And that's definitely something I still hear from people is how could he have had this happen? He's so fit. Is that something that you said to the doctors? I'm curious what their take might have been. Uh, I don't think we ever asked. No, they weren't. It's not the kind of instant. I don't want to name the institution, but it's not the kind of institution that would have responded to that with any sort of explanation. Gotcha explanation or even acknowledgement of it um because i was because of that i was so far out of the age range health range um i don't know what else even because yeah i was so young dietary range range, uh, of the people that normally have bypass surgery at this institution the fact that i had been on this bike ride we were riding 60 to 50 to 70 miles a day and it suddenly stopped and after the surgery they wouldn't let me eat anything until i parted and that was so hard because my body was screaming for food because of all the activity, you know, the, the, the body's still at that level, but even though I'm not doing anything, I mean, it's been three days, but 
I, I was just dying of hunger, figuratively speaking. Um, very, very uncomfortable because of that. Even more so uncomfortable than that than from the surgery. Um, but they, there was no give or you're like, I'm sorry, you got to We have to have you have pass gas before we can give you anything to eat. Yeah. So it was that idea that I was, I, I didn't fall into the category of the people I normally treat. So I, I want to ask you the the morning of the surgery. I mean, you've got the the three options that are laid out in front of you. Um, the last of which is really not the one that you're hoping for. How were, I, I mean, I know that this is such a, I don't want to call it a softball question, but I think a lot of people who have never been in that position are curious about what that actually feels like from the patient perspective. What were you dealing with before being wheeled in? That's not a softball question. No, <laughs> hey, that's not, not one I actually have been, has, has been asked. I was more honestly interested in the machinery that was going to be going on. And, and in fact, as they wheeled me in, I saw the heart-lung machine that I was going to be bypassed through, and I was asking a little bit about it. Um, maybe that was to take my mind off of the um, the impending surgery. Uh, I, I'm not sure. But I maybe it's fatalistic. I, I'm going to live or die. It could be today. Or it could be in 15 years. I, I, it's kind of what, it was, that's what, what was going on in my mind. And what about for you, Rachel? What was it like from your perspective? It was very stressful. So I was very fortunate in that my daughter, I have an older daughter who's actually in a physician's assistant program uh, and was fascinated by this whole process. She came down to be with me during the surgery. And then my sister-in-law also came from Maryland uh, to Pittsburgh to also be with me. So all of the stress and concern that I was feeling in place of him just wondering about the heart and lung machine, I got to do all the other emotional stress and processing. Um, yeah, it was it was a super stressful experience and definitely not one I would want to go through again. Thus, the changes that we made. Absolutely, <laughs> and and we're we're about to get to them because uh, boy, you want to talk about some wholesale changes. Um, you guys, y'all are the the gold standard now. So with the surgery, um, I believe they found five major blockages. How long did the actual procedure last? Did, do you remember that? I think it was about seven hours, I want to say. They, so when he went in, they said it's going to take, uh, I said, they said it was going to take about four and a half, four and a half or five, unless something was really wrong. And then it took way longer. And so that was also a concern for me. And he had no idea what was yeah. going on. Was and we were, we were told that there were three for sure they wanted to bypass. But when they got in there, they found two more. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that just got, uh, must have ratcheted up the stress even more. Um, I can't imagine being in your shoes that day, Rachel. It's um, My dad says that um, the patient actually has the easiest job. All they have to do is go to sleep and wake back up. But the family members who are sitting there waiting for news are the ones that are having perhaps the roughest day um, with yeah, all of that uh, worry. I agree. I yeah. agree after that experience. So quintuple bypass. I mean, that is a big, big, big deal. How did you feel coming out of that? My dad had triple bypass and in the back of my mind I'm, I'm listening i remember him complaining that he said had he known what it was going to be like post-surgery he wouldn't have gone through it and my dad was never he was a smoker a lifelong smoker life a heavy drinker lifelong drinker eventually it came clean with alcohol uh, alcohol it's anonymous but i had that going back in my in the back of my mind and thinking well i'm not a smoker 
I'm in much better shape than he ever was. And we'll see how this goes. Honestly, I didn't have, I didn't think the post-surgery issue was that bad. There was some discomfort with it. Um, I didn't call for any, I called once, I think, for some morphine. Um, and that, that was it. Uh, okay, here, I got to be real with you. He doesn't remember a lot of the post-surgery stuff. Gotcha. Again, that was that was mine to carry. So right, right, right. Of course, your your burden to bear. I got you. Um, so let's let's talk about this. In reading your story that you wrote, um, one of the things that really stuck out to me, and one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to have you guys on the show was, well, you started to talk about, well, what can we do to make sure that this doesn't happen again? What dietary changes? What lifestyle changes? can we make um, to ensure that that he's healthy moving forward? And and the quote that you were given was essentially uh, the cardiologist made it clear um, to take the medication and eat whatever you want, but expect to be back within 10 to 20 years for a redo. I mean, that must have been mind-numbingly mind frustrating. That certainly was not the answer you could have been hoping for. Yeah. And yeah. The, I don't know if I can't remember if I put it in the article, but he also said you could change your diet, but who could be a monk? And I was <laughs> like, girl, hold my beer. Like, <laughs> this. So, yeah, I mean, just his. But, you know, his job is to tear apart and put back together. That's what a surgeon's job is. Mm -hmm. And it's it's unfortunate that that is the case within this world of medicine that we live in. But that's what a cardiologist does, you know, a lot of the time. So the dietary piece is ascribed to someone else within our system, which I think is a hot mess, but you know, it's just me. Uh, but that's, you know, that's what's going on. It's unfair, but I understand where he was coming from. But I was also like, that I got this. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, your, your beer was held and instead of scrapping, uh, you went and you started to do a little bit of research. What then did you find in terms of the connection between dietary choices and heart health that uh, really surprised you? So what they, the, the one piece of advice I was managed to, I did manage to squeeze out of the institution that we were served at was uh, to eat a carb forward diet. And I had, I'd never heard of that before. So I went online and I Googled carb forward diet and Esselstyn. Esselstyn is the one that came up. And, um, and then I thought, oh, Cleveland Clinic. We were just in Cleveland. That was one of the places that we had biked through. Um, so I, I went in and read a lot of the research behind um, the Esselstyn diet. And as I read more and more, I, I was convinced. I mean, I, I, read, I read the research. We both have doctorates, so I know how to read research. So after I'd gone in and done that, I was like, this is it. This is this is the science that I was looking for. This is what we do. And that's the whole food plant-based no oil diet. Tony, I mean, you, you were the heart patient here. Um, and it sounds like, uh, before <laughs> you, you have been living kind of, um, a pseudo bachelor lifestyle with lots of meat before that. Um, after your wife got the new job here, how difficult of a transition was it for you though? I mean, I know that you also had been eating that Mediterranean diet, but were you skeptical at all of, of when Rachel came in and was like, Hey, no meat, no dairy, only whole foods. That, that's a, that's a big transition there, man. Um, no, not at all. It, it was definitely more psychological than it was physical. Okay. Um, and you even talked about like, Oh, how is it going to be good? And we, we've lived all over the world. And we're familiar with different foods and we, we knew it was going to be okay and good, but you know, if I can't have steak, 
you know, that the mouthfeel of what a steak is and, you know, mixed with the mashed potato and, and green beans and all that, something's not going to be missing all of that, you know, that experience. Um, as we, we stayed in Pennsylvania for two or three weeks um, in our daughter's apartment, she was off working at a summer camp. So we were able to stay there for my post-operative recovery period. And that's when we began to experiment. And every day, Rachel would work a little bit in the kitchen and say, okay, let's try something. Let's try this. And we came across lots of different recipes and substitutions and things to do. And it became clear over that few weeks we were there that, okay, we could do this because it's not so much the flavor, but the texture of food that we enjoy, that I enjoy, that we can approximate and get close. And we've done pretty well. Uh, there, there's only one or two things that we just can't do. Cheese is one of them. And particularly, I'm, I'm a Wisconsin guy, born and raised <laughs> there for, for ten, my first 10 years. So I miss hard cheese, like no business. But stuff that we found, it's all like a, comes out like a, a nuclear cheese, uh, like a liquid cheese sauce. For, it's good. Don't, don't get me wrong, but it's just not, not <laughs> the same. Hey, man, look. I, the thing that I love about a whole food plant-based diet is, is the creativity. You guys were just talking about replicating those flavors, even some of the mouthfeel, save the hard cheese, which one, uh, I don't, I'm not sure I'm kind of with you guys. I'm not sure that I've seen a good recipe for that out there just yet, but I'm sure that it's coming. That's the thing. It's the, because you can't have any oil in it. That's the trick. There you go. Unless uh, you found something for us. You got something for us, Chuck. If I have one, I would gleefully share it with you right now, but the search continues. So if somebody's listening or watching right now, one of the roomies who's really plugged into the plant-based scene. The roomies are the best. If they know, they got something for me, right? I'm telling, come on, let's crowdsource this thing. All right. Cheese it up. The healthy cheeses, bring them on. The hard cheese. Yeah, I got I got the liquid cheese knocked. I got that yeah, one. Done. It's got to be hard cheese. Got to be the hard cheese. Have you guys had uh, Rip Esselstyn's cheesy chickpea recipe? That is not a hard cheese by any stretch. I think I've done that one. So simple, so good. It's nutritional yeast, liquid aminos, chickpeas. Yeah. Boom, yeah. done. Shout out to those Esselstyn, re Esselstyn recipes, man. Those are yes. I mean, yeah, Rip, Rip, man, he's he's got that down. Um, and the new the new book that uh, Jane and that they just put out the what is yes, it yes, yeah, Woman yeah. Warrior. Yep. That one. Yep, how to be a plant-based woman warrior. Uh, they were just on the show not too terribly long ago. I know, I listened to it. They are a trip. Oh well, I don't have to tell you. Those yeah, two yeah. are like, I love them, man. If if you could bottle their energy, man, I'm telling you what, that's your million dollar ticket right there. Yes, um, sir. so you you start making these dietary changes. You've just had the surgery. Um, your blood pressure going into this had been borderline high. I believe your cholesterol might have been also elevated. How did those change as your diet progressed? Um, can, I, can I do this one? Yeah. Okay. One. This was a scary thing that happened. Um, so he his body reacted positively so quickly to this dietary change that he went hypotensive. And we had to take him to the emergency room. And they couldn't figure out what was going on. They just like were like, he's hypotensive. Lay off the medicine for a little bit. He went back on. And then he went hypotensive again. And when we called the cardiologist's office, they were like, take him off, take him off that medicine and just monitor his blood pressure, which we did. And I was so floored when it stayed right. I mean, it was like better blood pressure than I have. And I've always had a really good blood pressure. And that's where it stayed. Wow. Since, yeah. And, it, the, you know, the only thing that can explain it is the diet. There's, mm -hmm. He's not on any meds for it anymore. 
So when we're talking borderline high, what was it, you know, before this whole uh, situation unfolded? It was like 140 One, over 90, yeah. typically. 130, yeah. 140. Yeah. And what about cholesterol? I know that, uh, that that improved immensely for both of you here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was elevated. I don't remember my numbers, but it's, I want to say like 260. Yeah. 280. Yeah. Something like that. And now it's like ridiculous. Yeah. I love that. Ridiculous. How about yours, Rachel? How, how big of an improvement did you see? Mine is not ridiculous, but it's still good. So uh, mine was generally holding like around 220, which is, you know, high, but it's not too high. And now last time I had it checked, non-fasting was 180. Tony, how are you feeling today, man? I mean, you're, you look really fit, energetic, dare I say, young and spry. How are you doing, man? I'm good. Um, I, I'm still coming out of and finding different ways that I'm still coming re recovering from the surgery itself. Um, I feel great. Uh, there's, I'm much more conscious of the sleep that I get uh, and the food that I eat still try, There's still an adjustment period. We were talking the other day about, you know, when this diet first started, I had to eat probably four times a day, a lot, four times a day, just to feel like I was full. And that's getting less and less now. Um, but I did have a, a four full meal day a couple of days ago and I was full all day, which doesn't happen very often, but I wasn't uncomfortably full and I wasn't uncomfortably hungry either. Um, but, so I, I think that's a really important thing. Yeah. Like, this is a long transition arc. Like yeah. I know some people who've been on your show have talked about, oh, it just takes a few weeks. We found that it was a long mm -hmm. arc, even until now, like we are still adjusting. We're still, mm -hmm. you know, our, our microbiome is still adjusting. Our taste is even shifting. Mm -hmm. But you're much more aware of it, I think, when you eat like this, because perhaps the diet's so clean. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I feel very in touch with my body. I know you feel very in touch yes. with your body. So. Yeah, it, it is a little bit different for everybody. Um, I always worry that, you know, some people think because they hear it from one person, it has to be that way for everybody. But it can be a really quick arc or it can be that longer arc that you're talking about. And the bottom line is you're moving in a healthier direction. And in the case of, of you, Tony, like it's a much healthier direction. Um, you, you said at the beginning of the show, like you always expected this to happen when you were in your 60s. Knowing what you do now with all of the research, you see your numbers improve, your heart's beating healthfully, your, your arteries, I'm sure, are uh, much more open these days. How differently are you feeling about the future? I think the, the the possibility of outliving my grandfather who died at a heart attack when he was 64 and my dad at 67 is greatly improved. Um, I I feel really good about where the, the, the longevity of my life because of this change, um, more so than I had prior to surgery. I mean, I, I kind of figured that before the event, I would, in my 60s, I'd probably have a, a life-ending heart attack. It just by nature that it was going to happen. I know the feeling, man. There was a time when I didn't think I was going to live to see 30 when I was, you know, 420 pounds. I couldn't walk 10 feet without, you know, feeling like I was going to keel over from a heart attack. Um, it was frightening. And, and now the future looks much different and much brighter. And, you know, there's, um, I guess there's an immense comfort that comes with that every single day. It just makes me, you know, a little bit happier. And, and I'm sure it's much the same for you, you know? <laughs> so let's talk about, uh, you also here have lost a, a little bit of weight. How much weight have you lost so far? Post-surgery, I was like 210 and yeah, about 
Yeah, I'm uh, 165, 170 now. Yeah. Here's the crazy thing, though. Like, the weight holds. Like, the the weight, we lost this weight, and there has been no variation up and down yeah. from a year and a half ago. You know, and, and we're not young. So you expect <laughs> you, everybody I work with who's like my age, they're like, oh, the pounds, oh, you know, oh, 10 pounds. I just look at food. I put on 10 pounds. I'm like, I eat as much as I want. My weight ain't going nowhere. Yeah. So that's that's a real nice side Benny it's for like our you know our exam roomies who are like the old ladies like me yep you know it right yeah well look you know you say you look at food you gain 10 pounds a lot of people feel that way you've lost 10 pounds you've yeah. kept it off and it's no just question about off. it no yeah. effort yeah yeah love it i i find the same thing here i've i've like i've plateaued and i've stayed at this weight now for gosh six years and I feel absolutely fantastic. I don't count calories or anything like that. Do, do you guys uh, bother calorie counting or watching your fat grams? Or we anything? did it first. Hardcore we, before the yeah. event. Yeah. We were like, we were, so we know exactly what we ate for yeah. like two years before this happened. Yeah. Like by the day, we were really good. Um, but not anymore. And eventually, you know, every now and again, I'll open up an app and I'll track just for a couple of days just to look at macros because I, I do half marathon running. Yeah. So I like to make sure that, um, you know, that my intake is balanced basically, yeah. but it always is. I'm, I'm almost like, I don't know why I check anymore because it's always balanced. Eh, it's just nice to know from time to time. It's just nice yeah. to know. Um, let's talk about uh, food specifics here. I think that there are some roomies here who are probably wondering, well, okay, they eat healthier, but what exactly are they eating these days? Walk us through a typical day, if you don't mind. So we are oatmeal devotees yeah oatmeal every day and it's like the rip bowl times a thousand so yeah. you, <laughs> you load up the oatmeal bowl so always kale or spinach in the oatmeal bowl okay and then we eat raw oatmeal we don't cook it typically so we'll put a couple of handfuls of raw oatmeal flax seeds hemp seeds um i do nuts he doesn't do nuts uh fruit berries always berries mm -hmm. and then I think it was Christy Funk who talked about the matcha powder. Yep. The power of the cinnamon, the turmeric, and the pinch of pepper. So that always goes in the oatmeal bowl. Um, just lots of bananas, mm -hmm. um, dates. I'll put dates in mine. Spinach, kale. Spinach. I already said that. Man, that's like a kitchen sink oatmeal, you know? Yeah. It's so good. I used to go to bed dreaming about the coffee I could have in the morning. I Even now I'm thinking about the oatmeal it's I the get oatmeal. to have in the morning. Yeah. So, so you guys do that. I'm assuming it's, it's, you do like overnight oats and then you just pile everything in there. No, the oats are raw. So we yeah. throw the oats in raw. Yeah. I don't even cook them. Wow. Y'all yeah. are hardcore. For a little yeah. like, 30 seconds. For like 30 seconds. Yeah. Man. Okay. Y'all are setting the standard today. Y'all are setting the standard <laughs> yeah. today. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we've got oatmeal there and a rip bowl times a thousand. That's a challenge. That's a challenge for Rip Esselstyn, right? Oh, Let's I'll pass it along to Rip. Don't you worry. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about dinner first because yeah. for me and for you too, lunch is leftovers from the night before. Usually. Ah, so what's for dinner? I'm assuming it's no longer beef. No. So um, let's see. Like I'm thinking uh, last night we had mac and cheese out of uh, How Not to Die, I think from that cookbook is where we got the mm -hmm. recipe for that where you're just you're basically like boiling your veggies until they're tender whizzing them up in the food processor putting in some spices putting in some uh, you know, spices 
and then pouring it, and then baking it, pouring yeah. it over the noodles, and then baking it with nutritional yeast. And so, and oh, broccoli, put broccoli mm -hmm. in it too. And then have that with a like a kale salad or a kale Caesar salad, and and there's dinner. And mm -hmm. then um, I've gotten really good at making sweet potato chocolate cake with rice. I mean, we got to talk about that for a second here. Sweet potato chocolate cake. Let's discuss. It is so good. Okay, so this one, take a sweet, like a, a chunky sweet potato. So one sweet potato, peel it, chop it up, boil it, or put it in your microwave. Either way, it takes about five minutes. And then you're going to mix that with a little bit of flaxseed. Again, turmeric, a little pinch of pepper, more matcha powder. And that's just, you know, to add the benefits. It's not necessarily for flavor. Cocoa powder, you put in a bunch of cocoa powder. A little bit of applesauce. Whiz that all up with a little bit of ground oatmeal and then bake it and you get a cake. And it's so good and it's so moist and it tastes like it is full of eggs and butter, and but it's not, you know, it's just the sweet potato, right? That might be happening here in the Carol house very soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, and then I make an icing also out of sweet potatoes and the icing is pretty much the same thing, but without the oatmeal in it. So it stays thin and you put that on top and it's like, I mean, that kid, we talked about a biker who visited us from La Plata who was biking 140 miles a day before we got on there. He uh, had three pieces of it when he stayed with us and he had no idea. He thought yeah. it was full of eggs and sugar and yeah. <laughs> he, he just about died. He thought it was wonderful. He, had, he finished up, there was three pieces left and, and he, he was ate like all of them. Wow. And he's 18. Wow. Yeah. The kid can eat. So if I can fool an 18 year old kid who's on his bike, I think I can fool anyone with that cake. Well done. Well done indeed. Well, look, um, you guys are just phenomenal. Uh, Tony, I'm so glad that you made it through my friend and I'm so glad that the future looks so much brighter and healthier for you. And I, I agree, man. I have no doubt in my mind that uh, you certainly will live well beyond your sixties into your seventies and just keep right on going, man. You've made a tremendous transition and uh, I think that you're actually going to become an inspiration for quite a lot of people. And you certainly have one heck of a partner in healthy crime by your side. Yeah, I couldn't be here without her. No doubt about it. Well, listen, Tony and Rachel Shera, thank you both so very much for your time. And Rachel, thank you for the recipe. Outstanding work. <laughs> you're welcome. And thank you for the show. I really yes. appreciate it. I am really happy that Rachel was able to join us on the show today to fill in those gaps that Tony might have been a little bit fuzzy on. I mean, it makes sense given everything that he was going through at the time, doesn't it? That makes a heck of a lot of sense. But are you like Tony though? I know I was. Your parents, your grandparents, they had heart disease. Maybe they died of a heart attack at an early age. So you think that's going to be me too. That's a tough pill to swallow. And on one hand, you may always feel like you are living on borrowed time. So you may get a case of the YOLOs, the you only live onces. So you say, well, I'm going to eat what I want. I'm going to drink what I want. I'm going to do whatever it is that I want because I'm on borrowed time. It does not matter. And I'm not going to be around to live long anyway, so I want to enjoy the time that I have as much as possible. Definitely a commendable thought. Definitely a commendable thought. But the more that we learn, 
we have to also entertain the opposite. Because the inverse of this is, well, what if you could be around longer? And what if the key to not following in your family's footsteps to an early grave was to flip the YOLO mentality on its head? So yeah, you are only going to live once. All of us, that's the case. So why not stick around for as long as possible? And as Tony and Rachel proved today, with all that delicious talk, it does not mean that you can't have any fun. Especially with food. It just means finding healthier versions of the foods that you love. I mean, the sharers, they were talking about eating macaroni and cheese. And then that cake recipe, holy Moses, does that sound good. I mean, Tony and Rachel, all they have done is find recipes that align with heart-healthy standards. We're talking about whole food plant-based, foods that work for the ticker and not against it. But foods that still make the taste buds dance with delight. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so as we kind of wrap up our focus on the heart for the month of February, I really do hope that you get the opportunity to go back and check out our last couple of episodes, take an even closer look at the heart. We had doctors Kim Williams and Columbus Batiste on the show with us. And Dr. Batiste, I mean, he was talking about eating this way without even breaking the bank. Doing it no matter where you live, no matter what your budget looks like. Showing that where there is a will, there is a way and a delicious one at that. Coming up on the next show, Dr. Neil Barnard will be back on the exam room live. So join us Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and on Facebook, or just catch the replay right back here on the podcast on Thursday. And this week, there are a couple of things that I really hope that we get to talk about. I mean, number one is this spam festival out in Hawaii. Yeah, spam, the canned meat. There's this big old festival, Spam Festival, 20 restaurants all serving up various Spam-type recipes. Now, here's the scoop with this. Don't mean to be a fuddy-duddy. Certainly don't want to be a killjoy. But if you think about it, a Spam Festival is really no different than having a cigarette fest, right? If red and processed meats are known carcinogens, meaning they are known to cause cancer just like cigarettes, well then why is there a Spam Fest and not a Marlboro or a Camel Carnival? It's the same thing. We just by and large as a society put our blinders on when it comes to food. Check this. For every 50 grams of processed meat that you eat in a day, your risk of colorectal cancer goes up by about 18%. 50 grams, 18%. And, by the way, according to the Department of Health for the state of Hawaii, colon cancer is the second deadliest form of cancer on the islands. Hundreds will die from it every year and hundreds more will be diagnosed and subsequently find themselves in a fight for their life. 
So, I really do hope that we're going to be able to make some sense of this one with Dr. Barnard this week. And also, I want to talk to him about something else that's kind of interesting. Researchers now are trying to find a way to cure meat without using disease-causing nitrites. They want to find out how to do this without using them. Now, noble in thought, absolutely. But are they missing the mark here? Is this, again, going back to tobacco, is this like when filters were first added to cigarettes or when light cigarettes finally hit the market? Maybe. So I hope to get Dr. Barnard's take on this one as well. So we do have a lot to touch on on the next show. And you can join us live on Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube or on Facebook. And we're going to be opening up the doctor's mailbag so you can ask Dr. Barnard whatever is on your mind when it comes to your health as well. We're going to get to as many of those questions as we possibly can on the show. And don't forget big live show out in LA, March 30th at the E-Bell. Dr. Barnard will be there that night along with Dr. Christy Funk. And now just as we broke at the top of the show, Samantha Harris from Dancing with the Stars will be there and Tony Okamoto from Plant Based on a Budget will also be there that night as well. At least one more special guest still to be announced. So lock in your seats today, pcrm.org slash events. Tickets start at just $15 or VIP tickets will get you dinner, exclusive giveaways and photo opportunities as well, plus priority seating when the show begins at eight. So pcrm.org slash events or click the link right now in the episode notes. But for today, that, my friend, is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Tony and Rachel Shera for being here and sharing this remarkable, marvelous story of survival. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always... Keep it plant-based.